Well, praise God. Take your Bibles, if you would, please. We're going to be looking at the words of Jesus this morning as found in the Gospel of Matthew. If you find your place in Matthew chapter 6. How many of you think it's a good idea to do what Jesus said? Amen. We're going to look at the words of Jesus this morning. It's been a busy week, hasn't it? Well, it's busy for some of us. Some of us have got to stay home because of the snow. (laughs) I think some of them, like, all week we've been home, you know, for snow. But some people have been busy in the snow. I saw on the Facebook where uh, Amanda and Hunter were out playing in the snow. I think Hunter was riding his go-kart, pulling Amanda on a sled. (laughs) So some of us, we can find something to do. We're busy all the time, huh? Well, some of us have been busy doing the things we have to do, like get up in the morning and go to work and that kind of thing. And, but sometimes it's had to, we've been busy doing the things we want to do. But whatever we do in our life, it's all to serve some greater goal. We all have a greater goal in life. And those are the things that we pursue. Everybody say pursue. Now, somewhere in the recesses of our mind, we believe or we think that those things that we busy ourselves pursuing is the thing that's going to make me happy. Because after all, I think really that's what we are after. I want to be happy. You ever said that? I think we've all said it or at least thought it. I just want to be happy. I think our founding fathers really encapsulated that in the Declaration of Independence when they said this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now, we've taken that and kind of ran places with it that they didn't intend. What they meant is we're all the same. This is self-evident. We're all equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain and inalienable rights that among these are life. We all want life. All people are equal. We all want the same thing. We all want life. We want liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We all want to be happy, right? And so whether we're busy doing something we have to do or busy doing things we want to do, it's all to serve a greater goal, and that is we want to be happy. We're pursuing that. So this morning, I'm going to do a message called Treasure Hunt. What makes me happy? Some people say money makes me happy. Amen. I mean, if I had like lots and lots and lots of money, that that would make me happy? I don't know if that would make me happy, but it'd be nice to try it sometime. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice to have more money than you could ever spend? Why not make a lot of people happy? But I don't know if that's really what would make us happy. We think it would. Success in life would make me happy. Some people think, well, if I could just succeed in whatever goals I've set in life, that'll make me happy. Some people think, well, if I could just be famous, that would make me happy. If everywhere I go, people knew me. I'm famous in a good way. I mean, the Unabomber was famous. But you don't want to be famous that way. I'm talking about famous like Duck Dynasty, Field, you know, Uncle Cy or somebody like that. You know, wherever you go, people know you. Some people think, well, that would make me happy. Or if I just had some certain possession, you know. I thought, man, if I just got that motorcycle, that would make me happy. Well, I got it, and I'm happy. But that's not my treasure, you understand. Some people think possessions 
would make them happy. But how many times have we heard people who've made it to the top only to find out that something was still missing in their life? We've all heard those testimonies, lots of them. I've made it and I went after this and that was my goal and I finally got there. But there's something missing. Something that money and fame and success and reputation and all that, it, it, it just wouldn't fill the, that emptiness inside. I was still not happy. So let me tell you something. As I stand here this morning, I believe. Let, let me just say this. I don't just believe. I know without any shadow of a doubt that all that I need to satisfy me is right in front of me. If I could just see it. All that we need is right in front of us. But many people can't see it. They just can't see it. They're like Elmer and Ethel. There was a man named Elmer. He had a wife named Ethel. They'd been married for over 60 years. And then Elmer, he came down with a sickness and he's battling. And he's, got, he's got the flu. Everybody, anybody ever had the flu? Boy, that thing's been going around lately, hasn't it? So he had the flu, and he, and he looks up, and Ethel is right by his side. And he says to her, Ethel, you've always been there, haven't you, girl? She said, yes, Elmer, I've always been there. He said, when I had that accident 50 years ago and almost died, you were right there with me, wasn't you? She said, yes, I was, Elmer. I was right there with you. He said, back when the house burned, back in 1964, and we lost everything we had, you was right there with me. She said, yes, Elmer, I was right there with you. He said, every time I've ever gotten sick, you was always right there with me. She said, I sure was, Elmer. I was right by your side. He said, when I lost my job and we went bankrupt and lost everything, you was right there with me. She said, I sure was, honey. I was right there with you. He said, when I fell off the ladder hanging that picture on the wall for you, you was right there with me, wasn't you? She said, yes, I was. He said, woman, I'm beginning to think that you're bad luck. <laughs> You ever known anybody like that? <laughs> they can't see what's right in front of them. They can't see the good because all they see is bad. You ever known anybody like that? They're pessimists. Hope we don't have any pessimists in here. <laughs> Never mind the fact the woman had stuck with him for over 60 years, had gone through him thick and thin, up and down, was always there for him. He couldn't see me what, what was good because all he could see was what was wrong. And then it gets you down. Then all you can see is your hurts and your anger and your grumpy and you're sad and you're depressed and whining and you got the blues. <laughs> Anybody ever had the blues? Because we focus on what's wrong. A lot of us were like Elmer. We don't treasure the right things. Yeah. And church, if you're ever going to find true satisfaction in life, you're going to have to see what real treasure is. In the dictionary, treasure is defined as wealth or riches stored up or accumulated, especially in the form of wealth. Now, what is wealth to one is not wealth to another. Because in the mind of some people, money is wealth. But church, you know a lot of people that are sick in their body, money is not their wealth. Right. To them, health is their wealth. Yeah. 
If I could just be healthy, I would be a rich person. Some people that their family is shattered and scattered and broken all apart. To them, a family is their wealth. To some people that are lonely, their friends and their relationship is their wealth. Another definition to, to treasure is all a thing or person that is highly prized or valued. Anything a person greatly values to retain carefully or keep in store as in the mind. See, the treasures to some people is their memories. To some people, it's their knowledge or their understanding or their wisdom. Treasures also defined as to regard or treat as precious, to cherish, to put away for future security or future use. So the question that we want to examine this morning is, what do you treasure? Because what you treasure is what you will pursue. See, we're all pursuing happiness. And our happiness, whatever that is, is our treasure. So whatever you treasure, that's what you're going to pursue. Look at with me, if you would, if you found your place in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust doth destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, don't be like Elmer. (laughs) Only seeing what's bad. See what's good. If you can see and understand what's real treasure is. Verse 23, it says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? People who can't see the real treasure. Living in a dark world. Always pursuing, pursuing, pursuing the wrong thing. It's in darkness. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one or love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon meaning earthly treasure. Therefore, when you see therefore, you need to see what therefore is therefore. Amen. Amen. It's therefore because of everything he's just said. He's comparing earthly treasure to real treasure. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God is so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. 
But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, I just believe you have a word for us today, God, that is going to change our perspective of life. It's going to change our pursuit. If we could just get our minds wrapped around this and understand, God, that the natural things of this world, although they make sense to us, Lord, it is the supernatural things of the Spirit that really, God, gives us satisfaction and joy and peace and righteousness. So, God, I pray this morning that you would help us to see the truth today, God. Not only see it, but know it. Not only see it and know it, but live it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, church, we are all very busy pursuing the things that we need. And God knows that we need these things. But Jesus putting all of those things that you need, food, clothing, shelter, all those things, he put them all aside and he focused on one central theme. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all the things that you need will be added to you. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. So this morning, how do I seek the kingdom of God? And what exactly is the kingdom of God? Because I don't know that we could really answer that question. If we, we think of the kingdom of God as, as our Christian life and going to church and all the things that we do, this and that and the other things. But that's what the Romans thought. So Paul wrote to them in Romans 14, verse 17 and 18, and he said this, because they, they had given a whole list of do's and don'ts about what you could eat and what you should not eat. And he says in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So what is it? It's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Now, if we're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we will seek to serve Jesus in these three things. Righteousness, peace, and joy. That's how we find satisfaction is seeking the kingdom of God first and foremost. So let's break this down. Let's look at these three things. Number one, righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, it says, For if a, man offends, uh, a man's offense, by one man of, man's offense, death reigns by one. Now this is talking about Adam when he sinned. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by, one, as, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. To start with, we need to understand that I have been made righteous. Paul also told the Corinthians in 1, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who, 
he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God made me righteous. In other words, I am in a place where I am right with God. I'm in right standing. That is conditional righteousness. But not only am I to be made righteous, I am to live righteous. I am to pursue it. He told me to seek the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Number one, it's righteousness. In fact, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because the kingdom of God is his righteousness. It's not the natural things of this world. It's supernatural. So I need to seek to be right with God. What does that mean? It means I don't just give mental ascension to who Jesus is. I give my life to him. See, the church world is full of people that understand who God is. They believe in Jesus, but they never really just give it all to God. They never make that their pursuit. They're looking for life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness, not realizing that just giving yourself totally and completely to the Lord is what gives you life and liberty and happiness. Are you getting this, church? So the first thing we got to understand is what righteousness is. We've been made righteousness. Some people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't have joy. Many have no joy because they're seeking the things of this earth. Treasure. He told us to seek the kingdom of God. So you need to ask yourself, if you're not walking in righteousness and you're not seeking the kingdom of God, what are you seeking? You're seeking the kingdom of yourself. What, what I want, not what God wants, what I want. You're laying up treasures on earth. Because he said, he who serves Christ in these things, what? In righteousness and peace and joy will be accepted by God and by men. So peace, I mean righteousness is being made righteous by God. Peace is the second thing. Notice of all, he said, he didn't say Seek to have peace. He said the kingdom of God is peace. Let me say that again. He said the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but it is righteousness and it is peace. He didn't say seek to have peace. He said it is peace. If you're in the kingdom of God, you're going to bring peace everywhere you go. That's what we should seek to do. John said this, and Jesus said this in John 14, 28. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Every one of us have been given peace. I don't have to seek it. It's been given to me. When I came into Jesus Christ, how many of you really had a true conversion and you knew it? I mean, a peace came over you when you gave your life to Christ. Now, I don't know about you folks, but now when I came to Jesus, there was a peace. Knowing that I was right with God. When you are in right standing with God, when you're made righteous, knowing that I'm right with God brings a peace. The Bible says it passes understanding. How did you get it? Jesus gave it to you. I don't have to seek it. I have it. What he is saying is the kingdom of God is righteous and peace. What he's saying is we need to be seeking that. In other words, every situation that you walk into, you should bring peace into it. Yeah. Come on, 
in your home, your church, your job, everywhere you go. If you're seeking the kingdom of God, you're going to seek to bring peace. Jesus said, blessed is the peacemaker. If I'm seeking the kingdom of God, I'm going to seek to bring peace. Hebrews 12, 15, 14 and 15 says this. Pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with all people. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking carefully. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And lest a root of bitterness spring up cause trouble. And by this many be defiled. What is happening? How many of you know we live in a drama world? I mean, just turn on reality TV. All they do is fight. Am I right? I mean, it's all drama and it's, and it's a roots of bitterness and just, just yank it, kick it, kick it, kick it. What are we to do? We're to seek the kingdom of God. How do we do that? We're getting right standing with God and we bring peace into that situation. Yes. You want peace in your life? Bring peace into somebody else's life. Amen? Yes. How many of you like that? I say, I receive that. Hallelujah. Yes. The third thing he said is joy. Now, since the the natural human experience is to seek life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I really want to zero in on this last one. Joy. The joy of the Lord. Now, because I have peace, I've been right standing with God, and I have peace, it's easy to have joy. Very easy to have joy. Joy means that when you walk into a room, the atmosphere changes. Changes. Why? Because I bring joy into the room. If I have joy, I'm going to bring it with me. Right? If you have joy, you should be taking it with you. Carry it with you into the room. Church, I have been in in this sanctuary right here on Sunday morning. And feel hindrance. Just sense it. The Bible says that he gives you discernment of spirits. And I sense there's a hindrance in here. And not pointing the finger at anybody or any person, but I knew that certain people brought that in with them. I could potentially bring something in that's causing a hindrance. Something I've been involved with during the week or been around or I've come in and I'm just mad at the world or something or I'm carrying an offense when I come in. You know, or I've been neck deep in gossip and slander all week and I walk in and you bring those spirits in with you. And it can bring in a hindrance. But if I'm going to seek the kingdom of God, I'm going to seek righteousness. I'm going to seek to bring peace. I'm going to seek to bring joy everywhere I go in every situation. If you want righteousness and peace and joy in your life, take righteousness and peace and joy everywhere you go. That's how you get it. You want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? This is how you get it. Take it with you everywhere you go. Why? Because you have it. Walk in it. Amen? Amen. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all amening back there. (laughs) Church, we can't be like Elmer. You can't be a pessimist and see what's wrong with everything and have joy. You can't be pessimistic and joyful at the same time. They're contrary to each other. We've got to look for the good. That's right. And some, it's, it's, sometimes it's our nature to see what's wrong with everything. But we have to put to death the old man. Yeah. 
Right? Doesn't the Bible say that? Yeah. Crucify the deeds of the flesh. And stop looking and nitpicking and finding fault with everything and everybody. The world's good at that. And you know who they find most of the fault with? The church. They call us judgmental. Oh my, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're judgmental? Man, all the world does is judge the church. They call us everything in the book without any evidence to prove what they're saying is true. But you can't be pessimistic and joyful at the same time. Now, there is a place that you have to do some hard things and say some hard things. I understand that. But church, if you're grumpy, you're going to repel people. Right? But if you're joyful, man, you draw people if you're joyful. Don't you like to be around happy people? Man, I love to be around happy people. You get around somebody and you're just grumpy all the time. Man, you don't want to be around them. Unless you're grumpy as they are and y'all just get together and growl at each other. My Lord. I have never known anyone that said, oh, I want to be a Christian based on the actions of some grump. But if you're joyful, man, you get around joyful Christians, you're like, man, I want, I want what they've got. Man, it's contagious. I want that. When you seek to bring joy in a situation, you will change the atmosphere. Sean Aker, a secular psychologist, did a study on happiness and joy. It was a mega analysis on a research that brought together over 200 scientific studies on nearly 275,000 people. They found that happiness leads to success in nearly every domain of life, including marriage, health, friendship, jobs, careers, and businesses. Happiness brings success in all those areas. Data abound shows that a happy worker has higher levels of productivity, higher sales, they perform better in leadership positions. They achieve more promotions. They have higher pay. <laughs> they also enjoy more job security and are less likely to take sick days, quit their job, or become burnt out. CEOs are more likely to lead teams of employees who are both happy and healthy. And these studies also found that a happier a sports team is, the better they perform. Church happiness is just a good thing. We need to be happy. Right? Get in front of the mirror and practice your smile or something. I don't know, but just be happy. The joy of the Lord, man, is a good thing. There's benefits to being joyful. Being joyful will revolutionize your family. A leading Christian counselor said the number one indicator as to whether or not a family or marriage will succeed is do they laugh together? The church, I know families, they bug you because you're with them all the time with their mood swings up and down and that's my sweater, and what are you doing wearing this? And I mean, it's on it goes, and I, I, I understand that. But they're there when you're up, and they're there when you're down. You want treasures in heaven? You be the one to bring joy into your home. You be the one to bring joy in your home.
Some people are raised in angry homes. It's just tension. The happiest time in their home is when they're there by themselves. Because when the other member of the home that's a grump is coming down the driveway, they may not say it, they may not acknowledge it really, but they're thinking somewhere in their minds, oh God, they're back. Because they know there's going to be tension and grump and grief and stress in the house. The time around the table, it's quiet or it's sarcastic or it's just serious. It's never happy. It's always angry. What are you seeking this morning? Dad, let me tell you something. Dads, it's your responsibility. Your responsibility. You are the head of your household. And my home is going to be a happy home. And you're going to like it. Bless God. As go the leader, so goes the follower. Daniel Goleman, a leading psychologist, states that our brain is wired to take its cues from leaders. If the leader is angry, harsh, and cold, the followers will be angry, harsh, and cold. If the leader is joyful, the followers will be joyful. Dad, you're the leader. You set the example. You be the one to bring joy in your home. Do something fun. Something crazy. Just fun. Just have a good time. Amen? It'll revolution your family. It'll revolutionize your health. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A merry heart does good like a medicine. Being happy, will, man, it will heal you. But a broken spirit dries the bones. Studies have consistently shown that joyful, positive people live longer. Don't look at your mate and say, you're going to die. <laughs> Don't do it. Positive people live longer, sometimes as much as 10 years. It'll revolutionize your relationship. People just like to be around happy people. If people don't like to be around you, do the math. <laughs> and I'm just saying, it'll revolutionize, revolutionize your relationship. You want people to want to be around you? Be happy. Be happy. Be joyful. Bring it with you. You have it if you'll just discover it. It's there. Bring it in with you. Be happy. It'll revolutionize your personal life because we draw strength from joy. Nehemiah 8.10, the latter part says, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your strength. It's what, it is what gives you a reason to get up and go on when you don't feel like getting up and going on. It's your joy. It's something deep down inside of you. It is the core of who you are. 
In Hebrews 12, 2, it says this. It, it, it says that we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and we need to lay aside every weight and ascend it does so easily beset us. And in verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. You know, when I read that, I thought, we sing a song, his love held him, my love, his love for me held him there. Well, I'm sure my love, his love for me had a lot to do with it, but that's not what the Bible says. It was his joy. From where he got his strength, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It's where he drew his strength from was the joy that's in him. We need to be joyful. We need to be seeking that. You say, well, how do I get that? I'm going to give you three or four points and then I'm going to close here. Number one, you need to decide. You have to choose to be joyful. Because it is contrary to our thinking. The defective position of the human mind is to be stressed out and pessimistic. It is very natural for us to see what's wrong. That's why people say you're judgmental. Because we are judgmental. By nature. Say, well, you're judgmental. Well, so are you. So are we all. It is natural to be pessimistic, to see what is wrong. You have to make a conscious choice that I'm going to look for the good. I'm going to look for it. And it, it'll work, folks. I can be the most critical, sarcastic person on earth if I was just me. Because I can pick it out. We all can. But you have to decide you're going to look for what is good. You have to choose to be joyful. I am going to have a joyful heart. Every single day you have a choice of what kind of an attitude you're going to have. Yeah, that's true. Life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of what you do to react to it. Because yeah. we all have yucky, stinking stuff happen in our life. Everybody. We all, because I mean, some people come around and they've got all these sob stories. Well, let me tell you mine. We all got a sob story. Nobody wants to hear your sob story. We all got a sob story. What are you doing about it? That's the thing. 10% of what happens to us, everybody has stuff happen. 90% of what you do about it. Are you joyful about it? You have to be in charge of your attitude. You're in charge of your attitude. Church, if your attitude stinks, <laughs> nobody can fix that but you. So what we was talking about this morning. CEOs and company boss men and stuff say, I would rather have somebody that doesn't know anything yeah. if they've got a good attitude. Because yeah. you can teach them what they don't know. But you can't teach somebody attitude. Attitude belongs to you. You have to be in charge of your attitude. And people say, well, I can't help it. Oh, yes, you can. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Oh, yes, you can. You can do something about your attitude. Chuck Swindoll, who is the head of Calvary Chapel, he said this, the longer I live, 
the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, education, money, circumstances, failure, success. It is more important than what other people think, say, or do. Attitude is more important than appearance, gifting, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. Attitude. You know why churches struggle? People come through the door not seeking the kingdom of God. Why? Because if they were, they'd be seeking righteousness and peace and joy. They would be looking for good and not looking for all the faults. The reason churches have problems is because they come through the door seeking their own kingdom. And all they can see is what's wrong with everything. And what they talk about is what's wrong with everything. Why? Because they're not seeking the kingdom of God. Think they are. They don't know why they don't have peace because they're not seeking the things that gives them peace. The only thing that will give you peace is when you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not your own kingdom. You come in, I'm right with God, therefore I've got peace, I'm bringing peace with me. I'm seeking the kingdom of God, I've got peace, I've, I've got righteousness, I'm right with God, I've got peace, I'm going to bring joy into the house of God. I see something wrong, praise God, hallelujah, let's have a good time, let's party. Let's do something happy, fun. Stop, just stop all the criticism and stuff. How do we do that? You need to decide. Number two, you need to detoxify. Detoxify. Sometimes you got to just take your body. So you have to purge that thing, you know. Anybody ever had a colonostomy? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. They give you that gallon of white stuff to drink. My goodness gracious, alive, brother. Sometimes you got to purge, you know. We need to get that toxic stuff out of your system. You know. Some of us have toxic attitudes. We need to detoxify our attitude. I am going to be a light in the room. I'm going to bring people up and not drag them down. He said, if your eye is light, then you're going to be light. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, our opening text. If you're light, if your eye is light, you're going to be light. You're going to bring light. But if your eye is dark... How dark is that light? How dark is your eye? How dark is it? You bring darkness instead of light. You need to detox. Detox your attitude. Don't dwell on past mistakes. It's not affecting those around you. This is affecting you. Don't, Don't dwell on past mistakes. Bad choices you've made. We've all made mistakes. We've all made bad choices. Don't dwell there. Don't set up a camp there. Just say, okay, I was a donkey. But that was yesterday. What are you going to do today? I'm going to get beyond it. Because it's all about our attitude. Just hold, everybody hold your hand up like this. I want you to pretend like this is a mirror. I want you to look at this like this and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now get over it. It's, it's, uh, church is all about your attitude. This little boy had a bat and a ball, right? He threw that ball up in the air. And he said, I'm the greatest batter that's ever lived. And he goes, whoosh, and he missed it. He said, strike one. 
He reached down, he picked the ball up, and he threw it up in the air, and he said, I'm the greatest batter that's ever lived. And he missed it again. He said, strike two. He picked the ball up, and he looked at it, and he looked at the bat, and he threw it up in the air, and he said, I'm the greatest batter that's ever lived. And he goes, and he missed it again. He said, strike three. He picked the ball up. He said, wow, I'm the greatest pitcher that's ever lived. It's all about attitude. Get over it. Sometimes you pitch good. Sometimes you bat good. Church, we need to decide that we're going to trust Jesus with our past, with our present, and with our tomorrow. He said in Matthew chapter 6, when we read in verse 25, 28, 31, and 34, he said this, 25. Therefore, I say unto you, do not worry about your life. Verse 28, he said, do not worry about your clothing. Verse 31, therefore, do not worry. Verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about the things of itself. I'm going to trust Jesus with my past. Yeah, I messed up. But you know what? It's under the blood. I'm going to trust Jesus with my presence. I don't know what's going to happen today. It's in his hands. I don't care, man. I'm just going to enjoy the Lord. I don't question life. I just trust Jesus. Man, we could sit and look back at our past and the decisions we made, especially when you start getting a little older and you start looking back like, man, did I make the right choice? We were out here working this week. Brother Mike Williams and I yesterday was out here uh, working and we just having a conversation. He said something about how he wound up in Virginia. And we was talking about somebody going to work in South Carolina at uh, What's the name of that plant down there? V.C. Summers. V.C. Summers. I almost went to work there. In fact, I was calling in to get a, uh, a hiring date when they called me to go to work up in Cleveland, Ohio. And I went up there instead. But he said, I went to V.C. Summers, the first job that I worked in, in, in nuclear work or in construction or whatever. He said, and when I went there, everybody said, what do you do? why did you come all the way up here? You're working as a laborer, not making very much money. But he said, I knew that I knew that I knew God had brought me there. And by him going there, and we were retracing the steps is what brought him here. And so I was sharing with him. I said, well, Mike, you know, I, I almost went to work at VC Summer and we just kind of got to talking. I said, but you know, and I just got to thinking back. I said, you know, I've walked away from three career opportunities. Because people's asking, what are you doing here? This is stupid, you know. Why are you doing this? I'm like, well, people say the same thing to me. When I was 19 years, old, 19 years old, I applied for CPNL. That's Carolina Power and Light in Hartsville, South Carolina. I left home and came to Virginia. I met a little blonde-headed girl. I decided I was going to marry her. <laughs> and when I went back home to get my car, Dad said, CPNL called. You have the job. You, you need to be there Monday morning. I said, I'm not going. I'm going back to Virginia. <laughs> I met the girl I'm going to marry, and I'm going back to Virginia. And I walked away from a career opportunity. Not realizing that God was directing my steps. Because if I'd have stayed there, I'd have probably went to hell. Because the life I was living, I would have probably continued living. I needed to get away from that. And God knew I needed to get away from that. So he brought me here to meet Jeannie. 
Then we went to work for Duke Power. I worked for them for five years. Another power company. Another great career opportunity. Could have retired from there, man. I go back down and look at the houses that all my co-workers are living in. I'm like, my Lord, what did I give up here? Not my huh? Not my and then I get out of Bible college, go to Connecticut. And I'm bivocational. I'm working in the church as an associate pastor and get another career job with Pratt & Whitney Aircraft. Another career opportunity. I go into fasting and prayer. So God says, move home and get your house in order. We leave that and come to Virginia. But my wife just said it. That's not my treasure. And I was telling him, I said, brother, I don't know what kind of retirement plan I'm going to have. <laughs> it's not looking too good right now. I said, my, my benefits are out of this world. I mean, literally Amen. out of this world. Right. I said, but you know what, Mike? I said, the lives that's been transformed by the power of God, I believe, is my treasure. He said, don't lay up your treasures on earth. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a career. I don't want you to get me wrong. That's not what God's called you to do. Maybe he's, because somebody's got to pay the bills. Somebody needs to make some good money here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Keep your job. Pay your tithes. And your offerings. <laughs> Understand what I'm saying here, but some people, God didn't call me to that. He called me to something else. And then Mike said something that just blessed me. Because I was like, I don't know what my future looks like, brother. Retirement is not in the picture. He said, the same raven that fed the prophet will feed his children. I was like, wow. I appreciate that faith, brother. Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. Cast your cares on him. We need to detox our attitude. We need to detox our words. Yeah. Philippians 2.14, it says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Verse 15 says, so that you may be blameless and harmless. Children of God, without fault in the midst of a crook and perverse generation among whom you shine as a light in the world. Holding fast the words of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run and labored in vain. We need to detox our words, church. Paul said so that you can be a light in the world. Now, look, we may not really feel the joy all the time, but we can keep our mouth shut yeah. when we're not feeling it. Yeah. Amen. It's one thing to have something boiling inside of you. It's another thing entirely to open your mouth and just remove it all and just let everybody else know what you're thinking. The yeah. Bible says a fool reveals all that's in his heart. Sometimes what's in my heart, if I'm going through a struggle, I need to just learn the vocabulary of silence. It's a good practice. You ever bit your lip when you want to say something? I know you've never done that with your wife or your husband, right? It's a good practice. You ought to try it. If you complain about everything, you wonder why you don't have joy. The Bible says the mouth speaks what is in the abundance of the heart. Luke 6, 45 says, A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks Church, if I'm seeking righteousness and peace and joy, and I'm, I'm seeking that, if I am full of righteousness, I'm full of peace, and I'm full of joy, guess what's going to come out of my mouth? Joy. Joyful things. 
Your words will show what you have inside of you. The last thing is you need to detox some relationships. You're going to struggle with joy if you hang around with the wrong people. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. It corrupts good habits. Proverbs 22, 24 says, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. In other words, if I hang around grumpy people, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be a grumpy person. If you're hanging around somebody that's offended and all they can do is find fault and criticism and tear down, guess what? You're going to vex your own soul. You can't get around fire and not smell like smoke. If you hang around with people like that, negative people, you're going to be negative. Now, some people might say, well, who do you are to say who is a bad person? Who is bad company? Church, listen, we're accused of this all the time of being judgmental. But if I get around somebody and all they ever do is talk negative it's like watching the sun rise and the sun set, all right? If I say, the sun has risen, I'm not judging the sun. I am stating the obvious based on observation. If it's dark outside and the sun is set, I'm like, it's dark outside, the sun is set. I'm not making a judgment. I'm stating a fact based on observation. If somebody is a thief and I say they're a thief, I'm not judging them. I'm stating a fact based on observation. If they're a liar, if they're a whoremonger, if they're an adulterer, if they're a drug addict, if they're a drunk, if they're a gossip, if they're whatever. And you can see that you're not being judgmental to say that person is not somebody that I should be hanging around with. Because I don't want, now we love them and we minister to them, but I'm not going to hang out with them. Because bad company corrupts good manners. And I'm not to be around them because I will become like them. Is this making sense to you? Let me tell you what this is. I was sharing with a group in the back here. We as Christians get put into a, a mold and pressured by the enemy. We don't even see it. Well, Christians are supposed to love everybody. You ever heard that? You're, if you're a Christian, you should this. And if you're a Christian, you should that. And if you're really Christian, you should the other thing. You ever heard that? If thou be the son of God, turn the stone into bread. If thou be the son of God, cast thyself off of the pinnacle. If thou be the son of God, bow down and worship me. That's the same technique that the enemy has always used. But let me tell you something about Jesus when he was tempted and tested by Satan. He cared less what he thought about him. He didn't have to prove anything to the enemy. And church, let me just release you for something right now. When the world says, well, if you're a Christian, you don't have to prove anything to them. You're the righteousness of God. It's not arrogance and it's not pride. Some people look at you and say, well, you're prideful and you're arrogant. They could have said the same thing about Jesus. He wasn't prideful and he wasn't arrogant. He had faith, he had confidence, and he knew what he knew. And he wasn't backing down from it. Sometimes your confidence and your faith, your boldness, is seen as arrogance and pride. It's not arrogance and pride. 
You know who you are in Christ. You're the righteousness of God. You have peace. You have joy. Use it. And when somebody says, well, if you're Christian, you this and you that, I don't care what you think. I'm, I don't have to prove anything to you. Let me tell you what these people are. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Are you still with me? I'm almost done here. He said, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses of sin, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath as even as others. Look this way, let me tell you something. When these people are saying, well, if you're this and this, you're that, they're the children of disobedience, the Bible says. And what they're doing is repeating what is being said to them by the prince of the power of the air. Satan is saying, go tell that Christian if he's really a Christian. And they go say it. And a lot of times we're like, Oh, well, I really should this and I really should that. And just stop it. You don't have to prove anything to anybody except Jesus Christ. Right. And if you're seeking righteousness, peace and joy, you'll be. He said those who do these things will be acceptable to God and to man. If you bring peace into a situation and join a situation, people will appreciate that. The last thing is you need to delight yourself in the Lord. You need to decide. You need to detox your attitude, your word, your relationship, and then delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 1611 says this. You will show me the path of life. What are we seeking? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. You're going to show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. You want joy? Stay in the presence of God. Stay in the presence of God. Joy only comes in his presence. Now, last week, I closed by challenging you to spend more time in the word of God this year. All right? I told you to try to read at least one chapter a day. If you'd read one chapter a day, you'd finish the whole New Testament by the end of the year. I'm not going to ask you who, because uh, if you didn't make it, that's all right. It's all right. Start tomorrow. Just start reading the word. And if you're like me, I sat down and I, and I started reading. Next thing you know, I read the whole book of Ephesians and went on in and read, let's see, it was Philippians. Read the whole, I was just, in, man, I was having a good time. Why? Because there's joy in his presence. I get to read them like, man, this is just good. And I want to know what, next thing you know, you read the whole chapter. And Philippians is the joy book, man. Go read the book of Philippians. Read the whole thing. I'm having the joy of the Lord. But I challenge you, read the word. But church, don't just read it so you can just check it off your list. It's like, well, I've read my chapter today. I want to challenge you this morning to take it to another step. I want you to make it a time of worship. Entering into his presence. When you open it up, say, Lord, I don't want to just read this so I can check it off. God, I believe you want to say something to me today. God, speak to me out of this word right now. Just minister to me. Lord, I'm just worshiping you while I read this. I just want to be in your presence. And I, I just believe, church, that God is going to do something in you when, when you do that.
Make time to worship him. Because that, the, the joy of the Lord, is going, it, it will be your strength. And if you can get a hold of this, you're going to win battle after battle after battle after battle when the enemy come against you. If he can get you down and you're like this, he has defeated you. But no matter what he throws your way, you're still like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I will sing to myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making joy in my heart to the Lord. I mean, whatever song you know, just sing it. Man, I've been on a construction job, and I like getting out here in some of these rooms where it's echoes. I was in the back hall the other day. Mike, did you hear me singing back there, man? I was singing some of them good old songs. I mean, uh, ripping it loose, boy, and just singing. And i tell you what, it just, it, all of life's problems just goes away. I was singing, everybody going to have rhythm and glory. Everybody going to be singing that story. Everybody going to have a wonderful time up there. Oh, glory, hallelujah. When we get to heaven, there'll be no more pouting. Everybody going to be singing and shouting. Everybody going to have a wonderful time up there. You like that? Well, listen, everybody, because I'm talking to you. The Lord is the only one to carry you through. Going to be waiting on the judgment day to hear the things we say. Now written in the Bible, all the things it said. It's said coming back again to praise the dead. Will you be among the chosen few? Will you make it through? Well, everybody going to have... Man, I was having a good time, brother. Huh? Yeah, boy. Try it! Now, people might think you're crazy. I don't care. I don't have to prove anything to them. But if you will walk in these things, that's where she gets it from. If you will walk in these things, you will be acceptable to God and to people. Amen. Try it. I'm going to read you one last story and I'm going to pray. In 1799, it was on Easter Sunday. Napoleon had, ta Napoleon had taken over most of the Euro European cities, city by city. And he came to the outskirts of Philkirk on the Australian border. Now, Philkirk wanted the Australian army to come, but they didn't show up. So Easter Sunday, 18,000 French soldiers appeared on the horizon, led by Napoleon's general, Mycenae. An older man asked, what day is this? Easter Sunday, another replied. This is what he said. I don't care what is happening. Jesus has risen. Let us rejoice and celebrate the risen Lord. Now they've got an army getting ready to march down on them to kill them. And this old man says, what day is this? It's Easter Sunday. Brother, I don't care what's happening. Jesus has risen. Let us rejoice and celebrate our risen Savior. And history documents that they begin to sing worship songs and praises to God and begin to ring the church bells. And this general for Napoleon heard the church bells ringing and heard them singing. And he thought that the Austrian army had showed up to deliver the city. And he took his army and he went home. They got the victory and never fired a shot. Praising God. If you're seeking life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness... You're going to find it in Jesus Christ. Amen. Rhythm and glory. Amen. Stand to your feet if you would, please. Listen, everybody, I'm talking to you. The Lord is the only one to carry you through.
Don't want to be waiting on the judgment day to hear the things you say. Hallelujah. I might get the worship team to learn that song. <laughs> Do you love the Lord? Amen. Amen. Father, we want to go out from this place, God, and don't just say, well, bah, that was a good Sunday, it was a good sermon. No, Lord, we want to make it a part of who we are. God, may we seek your kingdom. First and foremost, Lord. God, may we bring righteousness into every situation. Lord, may we bring peace into every situation. Lord, may we bring joy into every situation. Now, Father, I just pray that the word has found a place, God, that it will grow today. And, Lord, as a result of that, God, we're just going to see lives just being transformed as we just take this to heart today. Now, Lord, I pray for every single person in the sound of my voice right now, Lord. If there's someone here this morning, God, and they just need to, to make some kind of a commitment to you, Lord, maybe they, they need to just detox this morning. God, maybe their attitude has just been stinky. Lord, maybe their words have just not been edifying. God, you told us, let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. But those things that are good to the use of edifying. So maybe their words just need detoxing, Lord. God, maybe there's people just hanging out with negative people. And Lord, they just don't realize what effect that's having on their life. And God, may they realize that God, that's not a friend. That's not a friend. They need to sever that, Lord. Because it is sapping their joy, God. It's draining it out of them, Lord. So, God, I pray that you just minister to each and every person this morning, wherever they are, God. Show them the steps that they need to take, Lord, so that they are actually seeking your kingdom first and foremost. Lord, may we leave here today and not seek our own kingdom, but yours, Father. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord. As we leave this place, I pray, God, that you would just bless every single home that's represented here. God, make it a refuge, Father, a place that you are honored and a place where the lifestyle is holy and it's acceptable in your sight. God, if there's things going on in the home that's not right, Lord, I just pray that you touch the hearts of the people there and just show them, God, that if they really want to have joy in their heart and peace in their heart, they need to get their life right with you. And Father, I know you'll show them grace and mercy. You'll guide them through those steps. I just know that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.